0: Marriage is the theme that runs through the lessons of today. Undoubtedly, there are social and legal aspects of marriage. There have been for millennia. But the Christian perspective adds another dimension. The Christian perspective is one of covenant. And fortunately, the state allows our covenant talk to be socially and legally binding. You hear of the covenant in our first lesson from Isaiah. God is addressing his chosen people, confessing his love for those whom he created, and expressing his faithfulness. In confessing his love and expressing his faithfulness, he models what he hopes to see from his people. In this covenant relationship of God and people, love and faithfulness is exchanged. We are the people of the covenant, drawn together into this relationship with the divine through our baptism, and that is what makes us part of the same body. Perhaps you've heard me as I walk the newly baptized through the aisles, although I guess you haven't since this is 8 o'clock. But as I walk the newly baptized through the aisles after their baptism, I introduce them to their brothers and sisters in Christ. I say it every two, maybe three, pews so that people can hear what I'm saying. We are one family through our baptism, connected to one another through our shared parentage. This image as God's children, God's beloved, speaks to our relationship with God and with one another. We are equal in God's eyes, made valuable because of God's love for us. Paul offers us another image in his letter to the church in Corinth. And this one relates to the same connectedness as marriage. But rather than a covenant of marriage, he describes us as a body. We can deduce from Paul's emphasis on interconnectedness that there was some level of discord within the church in Corinth. It is amazing to me that these words, written almost 2,000 years ago, still have strength and value in our day. We are still challenged to recognize our interconnectedness. And we are challenged not just to recognize it, but to live into it as well. I love this image of the body. Perhaps my fondness is related to the fact that I studied ballet for years and through the art form came to realize that the muscles in one area of the body, or even the lack thereof, affect the other areas of the body. Perhaps you've known this in your own life. An injury can point this out. It's amazing to realize that when one area of the body is not available, then other parts of the body don't function as well, or sometimes have to over-function. With this body image, Paul points out to us the Christian challenge. How do we remember our interconnectedness and live a life reflective of that truth? Tomorrow, we will observe a national holiday as the result of one man's repeated emphasis on our interconnectedness. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., was thrust into leadership because of his ability to articulate our interconnectedness and his ability to motivate us to live lives reflective of this truth. In our civic remembrance of him, I find that the foundation of his faith is often lost. So I want to share with you several paragraphs from his book, Strength to Love which was published 50 years ago this year. I quote, Probably no admonition of Jesus has been more difficult to follow than the command to love your enemies. Some people have sincerely felt that its actual practice is not possible. It's easy, they say, to love those who love you, but how can one love those who openly and insidiously seek to defeat you. Others, like the philosopher Nietzsche, contend that Jesus' exhortation to love one's enemies is testimony to the fact that the Christian ethic is designed for the weak and cowardly, and not for the strong and courageous. Jesus, they say, was an impractical idealist. In spite of these insistent questions, and persistent objections, this command of Jesus challenges us with new urgency. Upheaval after upheaval has reminded us that modern humanity is traveling along a road called hate, in a journey that will bring us to destruction and damnation. Far from being the pious injunction of a utopian dreamer, the command to love one's enemy is an absolute necessity for our survival. Love even for enemies is the key to the solution of the problems of our world. Jesus is not an impractical idealist, he is the practical realist. When I think about the horror in Newtown and the kidnapping in Algeria, both which have happened in the last month. I can see the description of modern humanity traveling along a road called hate. But how do we practice this practical realism preached by Jesus? Dr. King reminds us of forgiveness. In the same writing, he says, and I quote, Forgiveness does not mean ignoring what has been done or putting a false label on an evil act." It means, rather, that the evil act no longer remains as a barrier to the relationship. Forgiveness is a catalyst, creating the atmosphere necessary for a fresh start and a new beginning. It is the lifting of a burden or the canceling of a debt. The words, I will forgive you, but I'll never forget what you've done, never explain the real nature of forgiveness. Certainly, one can never forget, if that means erasing it totally from his mind. But when we forgive, we forget in the sense that the evil deed is no longer a mental block impeding a new relationship. Likewise, we can never say, I will forgive you, but I won't have anything further to do with you. Forgiveness means reconciliation, a coming together again. Without this, no one can love his enemies. The degree to which we are able to forgive determines the degree to which we are able to love our enemies. End quote. Dr. King goes on to describe the type of love that we're called into in Jesus. Agape love. Again, he writes, Now we can see what Jesus meant when he said, Love your enemies. We should be happy that he did not say, like your enemies. It is almost impossible to like some people. Like is a sentimental and affectionate word. How can we be affectionate toward a person whose avowed aim is to crush our very being and place innumerable stumbling blocks in our path? How can we like a person who is threatening our children and bombing our homes? That is impossible. But Jesus recognized that love is greater than like. When Jesus bids us to love our enemies, he is speaking of agape love, understanding and creative, redemptive goodwill for all people. Only by following this way and responding with this type of love are we able to be children of our Father who is in heaven. End quote. children of our Father. That is what we are. We are made so through our baptism, drawn together into one body because of our relationship with the Godhead, a covenant that God welcomed us into and we received through the sacrament of baptism. To be the body of Christ is no easy task. It takes our unified efforts to have the strength to combat evil with the greatest weapon that we have, the strength to love. It seems absurd that God would break into time and space as a newborn baby, showing us the strength and vulnerability, the transformational power of love. In these weeks of Epiphany, we are invited to consider what we have been given in Jesus. Through him, we are made one. As God's children, we are the body of Christ in the world, empowered to demonstrate the good news of God in Jesus in our relationships with one another. Amen.